Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. It is my great pleasure today to announce to you a new and additional sponsor for our program. Tyler Kane is a friend of mine and a brother in Christ, and he is a senior loan officer for Fairway Independent Mortgage. Tyler and his team have extensive knowledge of the mortgage industry, and their dedication has made them a trusted partner for many wonderful families. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to refinance or talk about future home ownership goals, Tyler and his team are here to guide you every step of the way. We've included a link to their website in the show notes, or you can reach Tyler directly at 813-380-8487. Thank you so much for listening today. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I'm really glad you've joined today. I certainly hope you find today's idea and sequencing as interesting and innovative as I do. This particular way of thinking about your behavior and what's behind it is a fairly new concept for me, and I've enjoyed kind of exploring it and asking myself questions, and I hope you get that same kind of benefit. I will say, though, that I am kind of proud of where this information came from in a fatherly way. Just a few days ago for me from recording day, my son Luke presented a sermon. I think it may be his first full-length effort. It was about a half an hour long, and it was the product of a book that he had been reading and his own Bible study. I really enjoyed listening. I've gotten past as a dad that nervousness where you're just afraid that he's going to lock up right in the middle and just take off running. Anyway, I almost got to enjoy it real time with everyone else. I think I read the lesson maybe three days before he presented it, and I built his slides. So I had a little bit of familiarity, but I hadn't heard how it all came together. It's really an honor today to get to share some of his content with you, but a little more than that, I want to tell you what I'm doing with it and encourage you to take some similar approaches And also to add a little more dimension to it, this morning I got to meet with a handful of men where we discussed the content of the lessons and studies from the previous Sunday, and they had some really wonderful things to add as well. And so I'll try to package all of that together for you. So Luke began the lesson with this quote from a book by a man named James Allen called As a Man Thinketh. Nor does a pure-minded man fall suddenly into crime by stress of any mere external force. The criminal thought had long been secretly fostered in the heart, and the hour of opportunity revealed its gathered power. So as you can tell, that part of the quote that he posted is right in the middle of a paragraph and a thought, but I think the idea presented there is clear and complete. You and I would both agree that sometimes we just make mistakes. Something pops out, we get upset, we say or think or do something that we shouldn't. None of us are perfect, nor is our self-control, but we always very quickly bounce back from those things. We instantly feel bad about them, and they're somewhat infrequent. But there is a very different kind of behavior that is described here as crime and criminal. Behavior that is deeply unsettling and unloving, that may be habitual and dangerous. And this book, written back in 1903, Luke has this weird fascination for books that have to be at least 100 years old, is simply saying that a man does not fall into that kind of life through some simple, singular, external force. There is some pattern of thinking behind it that has long been in his mind, and it has had an effect on his heart, and when an opportunity presents itself for all of that gathered power to leap into action, it happens almost inevitably. Now, on the slide in the sermon, he added the words sin and sinful in the place of crime, so that it reads like this, nor does a pure-minded man fall suddenly into sin by stress of any mere external force. 
the sinful thought had long been secretly fostered in the heart, and the hour of opportunity revealed its gathered power. So that slight change in terminology brings it home for us, at least for the first half of today's episode, and it is simply this. Deeply unloving or habitually ungodly behavior, addictions that may be ravaging your life and someone else's life, do not just happen out of nowhere. They are not to be blamed purely on external forces. Instead, they are the result of a long and steady gathering of power that occurs inside of a man. In fact, even the book title, As a Man Thinketh, is from Proverbs chapter 23, where it says in the King James Version, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The idea here, beginning with the negative trajectory that we will invert in a little while, is that there is a natural connection and progression from think to feel to do, from mind to heart to action. Opportunity, temptation, is just that window that presents itself where all of that gathered mental energy can be instantly and fully released in a direction that it had been planning to go for quite a while. We sometimes look at the sin we commit, the choices that we make, putting our family and others in jeopardy, and we wonder and others wonder, how in the world did this idea ever become a good one? How could anyone ever make that decision? But that's the thing. The power to do that had been gathered over a very long and undisciplined, in most cases, internal narrative progression. In the sermon, Luke used the example of Judas. He started in John 12, where Judas had greed already fostered in his heart and mind. He saw the money that was spent on the perfume that was used to anoint Jesus, and in his mind, what is he thinking? He's thinking, we could have collected some of that money, and I could have pilfered a little bit of it for a few things I'm interested in. He already had a mind that was set on greed, which caused it to miss that something amazing was taking place. And that constant thought of greed was probably fostering in his heart these weird, unjustifiable things like, at least it won't go to waste, or, you know what, I deserve this. So from that kind of building comes the hour of opportunity, where he's given the chance to trade in Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, Luke made some good comments in the story about how when he reads that story, he thinks, surely he's not going to go through with this. Surely he's going to see that 30 pieces of silver is really not that much for what he's putting at risk. Certainly, at some point, he will see this opportunity as a temptation to sin and he will stop. But he does not stop. And you may even argue that at that point, he could not stop. What he was thinking had seeped deeply into his emotions And so when the opportunity came, his gathered power was revealed. Not gathered power of faith, but of greed. There was a point in the sermon where Luke laid it out this way, and I almost had questions about it when he first did so. He said, this is kind of the three-part progression. Sinful mind, then heart, then action. And I was kind of wrestling with those first two. What starts first? A heart that isn't fostering the right things or a mind that is set on the wrong things? So I kind of got to test that out a little bit just after the lesson. I was studying with our high school kids in a side classroom, and I asked them this. What is easier for you to do, to control the things you choose to think about or to control the way you feel about those things and others? And I think there were a couple of dozen or more kids in there, and one or two leaned towards feelings, but overwhelmingly they said, you know, what I choose to put my mind on is the thing I have the most control over. And I think that's right. 
I think that is the way that things get out of hand. I choose to put my mind on people or aspects of people or things or angle on things that just don't meet the criteria of the purity that God has assigned. That becomes the data, the input that I allow into my mind or through my eyes, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. From those things I am thinking about or looking at comes feelings. I begin to attach emotions to that. If it's something sinful, it might be a sinful emotion like lust. If it's an aspect of a person that is not kind, then I might attach something like anger. From there, I've gathered up the ingredients for a poor outcome, and now the devil just needs to toss an opportunity at me. And then somewhere, somehow, out of nowhere, I say or do the wrong thing. So I hope you can already see, today's episode is not about just identifying how the problem happens. It's about using awareness to get control of the right areas, initial thoughts and inputs habitually and regularly to change those outcomes, and also to just use these absolute realities for the way you operate and channel them into good initial behavior and really great outcomes. So before we get to that, you know, filling your mind with good things and letting it renovate your heart, basically grace to faith to life, let me give you the example that Luke shared during his lesson about how this often works in the negative direction. So you might be aware that I have two boys, Luke, age 20, and Nick, who's 12, and I'd say they get along most of the time. They're highly competitive with each other, so you might can imagine how that goes. But Luke started his illustration this way. He said, maybe I see Nick doing something or saying something a little bit questionable, a little bit too self-focused, and I tell myself, Nick is selfish. That is the way I have chosen to interpret that behavior, and so I record that thought. And so now, having seeded that thought, anything that Nick does that's even remotely self-focused is interpreted by me to defend my captured thought and contributes to my belief that he is truly selfish. The defense of that thought eventually becomes a feeling within me that changes my demeanor towards him. He's not a good kid that doesn't see the big picture sometimes. He's just a selfish person. So one day, someone is mentioning something that Nick has done, a great opportunity for me to come in and say, you know, he's really a good kid, and I love him, and he just makes mistakes. But that is not the way I use that opportunity, because I have not trained myself to use that opportunity that way. I have gathered negative thoughts and I have fed them. And so what do I contribute to that conversation? Well, of course Nick did that. He's selfish. And now what have I done? I put a thought into someone else's mind that may turn into the same cycle over and over again. I have to tell you, that illustration, which I didn't know he was going to present, really struck me. I have totally done that. And I've really, really been working on that. I thought, Who are people in my life that I disagree with, that I really don't understand or appreciate the way that they behave, and it's just easier to categorize them as a certain thing or in a certain way and just put that in my mind. From there, every Facebook post, every email, every bit of tone, if they're a preacher and some sermon they present, is continuing to feed that in me, which isn't just data anymore. It is now how I feel about them. And so the next time someone brings them up, the window opens, and what am I liable to do? I will say, though, I didn't understand the sequencing of this until this week, but I've been working on that for a couple of years now. I find myself thinking as many positive and wonderful thoughts about these people as I possibly can, praying for them to live to be 100 and do great work, trying to foster a feeling of compassion or maybe even feeling bad for them instead of letting it turn into anger or deep sadness. And you know what that does? It helps 
when some opportunity comes to share something about them. So maybe it has to do with the way you see or think about other people. Maybe it's about something that you're fighting, some addiction in your life. I would say I agree with most of our high school kids. Controlling your actions can be super frustrating because you think it should be easy. It's an action and you're struggling with it. You probably need to back up and think about how you feel about that thing you want to do or say, but it is also very difficult to change the way you feel. But behind even that are the daily feedings and thoughts that you allow to exist, allow to stay in your mind, and then through some weird psychology, begin to defend with every piece of data you can gather. It's kind of like that old story about the Cherokee man who told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us all. One is evil. It's angry and envious and jealous. It's filled with sorrow and regret and greed and arrogance and all kinds of ungodly things. The other wolf is good. It's joy and peace and love and hope and serenity and compassion and faith. The grandson thought about those two wolves battling for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? To which he replied, the one you feed. So to me, and to turn this towards positive usage, I get to decide what I want to think about. Romans 8 talks about setting your mind on things of the spirit or things of the flesh, of everything in your life that you can control. I would argue the number one thing is in any given moment, what or who you choose to have as the object in your mind. But then you have to feed it, which involves external things that become inputs. You say, I want to think on God. So you open up the word and you read the things of God. I want to consider what pleases him. And so you intentionally have a conversation with someone about God working in their life. You are gathering the right kind of data to back up an internal claim that you believe is important. In the sermon, Luke went through several mission statements of the Apostle Paul that can be great initial thoughts. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am an imitator of Christ. I am running with purpose. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I am pressing on to the goal. Those sure beat a bunch of fleshly, worldly, unimportant, or devil-serving thoughts that could be in their place. From there, it's like, how do I feed that? Because the thought will be fleeting and replaced if it isn't developed in some way. What can I read? Who can I talk to? Where could I go? How can I pray? The result of a mind that is set on that which is good and starts using all of the inputs that come in to really defend that position is that it begins to sink into your heart. That knowledge, for instance, of God's great grace that saves you, you read about it and think about it and hear about it, and then you begin to believe it, and then comes the heart. You start to feel it, to internalizing it. It begins to trigger emotions like peace and joy and hope. And all of that begins to gather power within you. You probably don't even know that it's happening. You won't even know how much progress you're making until an opportunity comes. Maybe it's an opportunity to be angry or ungodly, but you don't take it because that's not what you've been gathering together in your mind and heart. On a much cooler level, maybe an opportunity comes to share Jesus or exemplify the fruit of the Spirit or help someone. And you don't have to try. You don't have to convince yourself to do it. It naturally and inevitably happens as the power within you gets released. 
This is part of what came up with the guys today. Someone mentioned how they want to go beyond just getting up every day and trying to do the right thing. And I think I said something like, I don't want to try to do the right thing. I don't want my life to be having to pull together the effort to do things that I ought to be doing naturally. I want good things to manifest from what I have been building on the inside. I want them to come naturally. I want them to be fruit that just gets born because of how I've entered the day mentally and spiritually. That doesn't mean there won't be trials, and I really struggle with the fact that I usually don't have to try to do the wrong thing. My flesh just runs into it like it's been waiting to do so all day. I want that to be what happens when an opportunity to share the gospel comes up, or to give to help someone in need, or to just be someone's light in a dark place. This is probably a terrible illustration, but since we've already done one animal story, it's like the chicken that stops laying eggs. So every morning she goes to the supermarket to buy a dozen eggs, takes them back and sits on them so that the farmer won't turn her into lunch. I don't want to be that in Christ. I don't want to be a person who just tries to manifest good outputs. I certainly don't want to become one of those people whose mind is usually set on worldly things and pursuing worldly goals and steps into a lot of worldly traps But on Sundays and Wednesdays and a couple of other occasions, we check the box and go buy our eggs to make sure we've got the right produce so God keeps us around. Don't we get it? The Lord is looking at our behavior, our activities, but more than that, he's reading the heart that produces those activities. And I don't know how you feel about this, but if God's got two people in front of him, one that produces a dozen great things every week, but it's box checking, it's out of habit, it's just making sure to do what's right, And the person next to them maybe only produces half as much, but it is the product of their heart and mind and growth as it is today. I just contend that God may see them and weigh them and judge them differently than at least one of them was expecting. And this isn't to undermine good works. I want to do a dozen great things for God. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I wanted to give more and go more all in in producing for the Lord. But if you've listened to this podcast long, you know that there have been some sequencing changes in my life, and I appreciate that Luke brought it about from a different way of thinking. But for some time now, we've been talking about grace to faith to life. You start by learning about God, by reading about Him and thinking about Him and observing His revealed glory and becoming overwhelmed in your mind by His mercy and His love. You feed on it. Everything you see feeds on it, and it changes you. It changes your heart. It changes how you feel about him and yourself, and it deepens and forms into this beautiful trust and allegiance called faith. If you've got all that working on the inside, and you're working on all of that, what do you think all of that gathered energy and potential will do when given an opportunity to express itself? It'll be a bunch of really wonderful things that didn't come independent of how you feel, didn't come contrary to what you wanted. It comes naturally and beautifully as the output of a mind set on Christ and a heart transformed by him. You may wonder, practically speaking, how does that work and how do I work on it? Well, that part is really easy. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, as a man thinketh, so is he. Paul said it this way in the Philippian letter. He said, look, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Then he followed with, 
the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice that the thinking comes before the doing. Anything in your life that will become a part of who you truly are and how you daily live will come through that very same sequence. The devil wants to use it for evil by filling your mind with junk, and God wants to use it for good by filling your mind with Christ. Choose wisely, because what you think and what you feel becomes your gathered power. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over the years is the best way for the program to grow is for friends to tell people how valuable it's been for them. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 205-326-7364. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.